We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Monday night football tonight, everybody, from FedEx Field, Washington hosting the Baltimore Ravens, who have not lost in the preseason uh, in their last 24 attempts. Uh, A crazy streak, uh, for sure. By the way, the NFL's preseason, since shifting to a three-game preseason with the 17-game regular season, you don't see as many games other than the NFL Network games, nationally televised by the NFL's big television partners. This is the first one uh, in the first two preseason weeks to be nationally televised, Uh, again, excluding the NFL Network games, and it's the only one that ESPN will show. And then this coming weekend, in the final week of the preseason, CBS, Amazon, and Fox all have games. But typically, CBS and Fox would have at least two nationally televised games. Uh, ESPN might also have two uh, nationally televised games. But uh, it's not a great product, as we know. It must not generate great ratings in the preseason relative to maybe what it used to. Uh, I think most fans understand um, these games are true uh, exhibitions, uh, as they used to be called way back in the day, and they're not even very good uh, exhibitions. Uh, As we begin the recording of this podcast, there is breaking Nats news. Uh, According to Ken Rosenthal and Britt Giroli at The Athletic, the Nats are extending Davey Martinez and Mike Rizzo. Uh, I'll read from the first couple of paragraphs. Uh, The Nats have signed manager Davey Martinez to a two-year contract extension, and general manager Mike Rizzo also is close to a new deal, according to sources briefed on the discussions. Martinez is also getting a club option for a third year, and Rizzo's deal is expected to be similar in length. Both are completing this year option years on their 
current agreements. Good for Davey Martinez. Good for Mike Rizzo. This, I think, feels like the right thing for the organization. Obviously, the ownership situation is in flux. You certainly did not want Davey Martinez and Mike Rizzo to potentially walk at the end of this year. Look, the Nats are on a tear right now. They have the third best record in the National League since the All-Star break at 21-14. and 14. Uh, The sixth best record in all of baseball since the All-Star break. They've won five out of their last six series, including taking two of three uh, over the weekend against uh, the Phillies. And, you know, I said this to Bob Carpenter on radio on Friday when I had him on. They are eight games out of the wild card, the third wild card. Look, they're not going to be in the postseason. I understand that. But 125 games in, they have 37 left. And over their next 10 games, which, by the way, includes includes the Yankees for the first of three starting tomorrow night at Yankee Stadium. The Yankees have lost eight in a row. Um, but the other seven games in their next ten are all against the Miami Marlins, a team they have struggled with, I understand. But the Marlins are one of those teams ahead of them in the standings. They're one of those teams uh, that Washington is chasing. Did I just say chasing as in wild card chasing? They're not gonna they're not gonna get there, but the Marlins, Reds, and and Diamondbacks are all a game behind the Cubs for the third wild card spot. Imagine over the next ten, Washington plays, you know, seven hundred ball. They win seven out of the ten. All right, and uh, they could be sitting there at that point with 27 games left, like five or four and a half, four games out. It's possible that they could make that kind of progress here over the next 10 games. Their schedule is actually very difficult. Why am I doing this? They're not going to make the postseason, but it really has been a very impressive run for a team who had a 58-and-a-half over-under total to start the season. Uh, and they have 57 wins with 37 games remaining. Uh, they have done a great job of being a competitive team, and a lot of the young players who are the foundation of what is to come have been a big part of of that. You know, I've had Bob Carpenter on the show recently, others as well. We had Mike Rizzo on the podcast a few weeks back. You know, it's not that inconceivable that this time next year the Nats are much more legitimately in an actual wild card contention uh, race uh, with the likes of Dylan Cruz and James Wood as a part of their lineup. But good for Davey, good for Mike Rizzo. Uh, that's big breaking news here uh, as I'm just getting ready, uh, as I was just getting ready to start uh, the podcast. Uh, don't forget to rate us and review us, especially on Apple and Spotify. Follow us as well. That's a big help. Subscribe to the podcast. That's a big help. Um, this from Slim Jim Pitbull. <laughs> Uh, that's how uh, Doc described 
Emmanuel Forbes last week on the podcast on the podcast. Slim Jim Pitbull gave us five stars on Apple and wrote, My go-to podcast every day. Please have Doc Walker on more often. I love him. Uh thank you very much. Um you can rate us and review us on Apple and Spotify, and it really doesn't take much. You could pause this podcast right now if you haven't done it. Give us, you know, five stars if you see fit, and just a quick two-sentence review. Um, uh, like uh, our guy Slim Jim Pitbull, uh, Will did. His name is actually Will. He titled the review Slim Jim Pitbull. All right, um, let's talk about tonight. Uh, so... First of all, this was Sam Cosme, Washington's starting guard, starting right guard. Uh, He was asked by J.P. Finley over the weekend about the Ravens' 24-game preseason streak. Here's what Sam said. Does that Ravens' win streak even enter your brain, the preseason win streak? I think it's a stupid record. I mean, who gives a shit about preseason games? I agree. Yeah, I mean, if we beat it, great. We're going to beat it, so there we go. It's a weird streak. It is a strange streak because it's not like the Ravens are going out there with starters um, and trying to win these games over you know the last seven or eight years with starters through three, four quarters. It's not like they're playing these games so much differently than other teams, not to mention that every summer – there's a whole new batch of second, third, and fourth teamers for the most part, or you know, a significant percentage of those are. So the streak is certainly an odd streak. I also consider it to be completely meaningless and almost coincidental. You know, I'm not saying that that Jim that uh, John Harbaugh doesn't want to win these games, maybe a little bit more than other coaches, but 24 in a row is flukish, and it is truly of like positive streaks in sports that are team streaks, it is the most meaningless. It means nothing. In fact, since the start of this streak, summer of 2015, the Ravens have won just one postseason game. They are 1-4 during this streak, during the postseason, which matters a little bit more. It's kind of a dumb streak, as Sam Cosme uh, said. And I am not one of those people that's chomping at the bit to be the team that ends the streak tonight. No. There are much more important things for Washington uh, to get out of tonight's game. And by the way, it's very possible Baltimore is going to sit a lot of its starters tonight uh, in this game. Washington will probably play its starters Uh, more so than Baltimore will. By the way, Baltimore's favored in this game, even though the anticipation is they're not going to play Lamar Jackson and other big-name starters. Um, You know, tonight's game is the actual first game at at FedEx since Dan Snyder sold the team. I have no idea what kind of crowd they'll uh, get tonight. I do know that there were signs along, you know, up uh, over uh, overpasses on overpasses on the belt way saying thank you Josh Harris you know on the way to FedEx uh, I still think the celebratory home um, game will be the regular season home opener against Arizona um, I'm not sure what to expect tonight but there's more interest in everything that Washington's doing since Dan Snyder 
sold uh, the team. So as it relates to tonight, um, I, I am like last week. You know, we we talked about before the Cleveland game. I, I'm more intrigued with these preseason games. Uh, because of Sam Howell more than anything else. You know, these preseason games aren't intriguing to me because Dan Snyder has sold the team. I mean, the future of the team, the present and future of the team is very interesting because Dan's gone, and I'm assuming everything's going to be much better, if not immediately, certainly in the long term. But the preseason matchups against Cleveland, Baltimore, and Cincinnati, three out of the four AFC North teams, are interesting uh, because Washington is starting a quarterback um, that's going to play for the first time in NFL games that matter on September 10th against Arizona. And they're going with him, as we talked about at the end of last week. And so um, that by itself, to me, makes these games a little bit more interesting. Now, here's what uh, I put together a list of like eight or nine things that are interesting to me for tonight's game, that I will be um, closely or somewhat closely monitoring. First of all, I want to see a smooth offensive operation again, because I think we got one last week. In fact, I had Jahan Dotson, if you recall, on after the game, and Jahan felt like it was a pretty smooth uh, operation. I want to see a smooth offensive operation, you know, and to me, the way we'll think it's smooth, and we may not know for sure, um, but, you know, no delay of games, no snaps just before the play play clock expires unless there's a lot of checks. I want to see them at the line of scrimmage with still 15 seconds left on the play clock. This is the kind of uh, tempo and pace that Kansas City plays with that Eric Bieniemy's been emphasizing. He wants them at that line of scrimmage with plenty of time to run a lot of what they will be doing pre-snap. Lots of motion, lots of shifting, and you can't do that if you're getting to the line of scrimmage with six, seven, eight seconds left on the play clock. So to see what I think was a pretty smooth operation last week happen again would be great. Now, if we don't see any any of the things that are alarming, which would lead us to believe that you know delay game penalties, um, timeouts because the play clock is winding down, we may have to hear it from them to know that it went smoothly. But uh, that's something that would be noticeable if it didn't go well. I want to clearly see better pass protection, especially in dropback situations. I mean, that's where this really gets measured because, you know, they will, I am sure, with West Coast concepts, try to scheme around any sort of weakness that they have, and it might be a significant weakness in pass protection. But if they get into you know, third and long in drop-back drop back situations, we need to, to, to get an indication, especially if it's against second-teamers for Baltimore, that this offensive line can protect. Um, thirdly, I want to see Sam super decisive, super quick in getting the ball out, because this is who he has to be in this offense. You know, that those are the areas in which there are major question marks. There aren't big question marks around things like arm strength, things like mobility. You know, his decision-making, 
um, how quickly he processes, how quickly the ball gets out. These are the things that are TBD. And with a West Coast approach, which they'll have a lot of, uh, and they'll have RPO, and there's going to be a lot to this offense, but certainly, you know, at its core, this is going to be get the ball out quickly in space to playmakers with great spacing, great timing, and then let the Curtis Samuels and Jahan Dotsons and Terry McLaurins of the world, Antonio Gibsons, make plays. Um, so I want to see. I don't want to see the sack that he took against Cleveland. I'd like to see, you know, there 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 be some progression because there did seem to be potentially an outlet for that. You know, if he's got to get it to a checkdown quickly, get it to a checkdown quickly. Don't take a sack. Um, so I, I want to see Sam decisive. I want to see that ball coming out quickly. He does have a quick release. Uh, I'd love to see some success. You know, confidence building success with, you know, a drive that takes eight plays, 75 yards, touchdown, you know, receivers open, ball out on time. You know, uh, the other night, and I tweeted this out and watching the Giant game uh, on Friday night against the Panthers, uh, Brian Dable, the head coach of New York, put the starters on offense out there for the opening drive of the game and did not call one running play. And this is the thing and and the trend with some of the better offensive teams that I have noticed over the last decade. Now, in recent preseasons, we've seen even a lessening of the amount that starters play. Um, But there's no reason really to run the football. Um, You want the timing aspects of the game. Uh, you want that in game-like conditions to have a chance to get in sync, to get some rhythm. Ten pass plays called. Now, Daniel Jones did keep the ball on a bootleg. Uh, you know, he was looking to throw the ball, but kept it for a six-yard run. Other than that, he was eight of nine for 69 yards and a touchdown, and he took a seat. I'd love to see something like that. Um, by the way, uh, talking about teams that like to throw the ball uh, in the preseason much more than run it, how about the defending Super Bowl champions? Did you see this on Saturday night? First of all, Mahomes played the first quarter, was 10 of 15 for 105 yards and a touchdown. They played four quarterbacks on the night. Shane Bouchelle came in, Blaine Gabbert came in, Chris uh, Oladokin came in. The four Kansas City quarterbacks in the game against Arizona on Saturday night, a game the Chiefs won 38-10. to They never took their foot off of the offensive gas pedal. The four quarterbacks went 31 of 38 for 393 yards, three touchdowns, no sacks. A combined passer rating of 136.1. By the way, Blaine Gabbert had a perfect passer rating of 158.3. They ran the ball 20 times, okay? And the quarterbacks had like four of those runs. They didn't care about running the football. They wanted their quarterbacks and receivers, you know, whether it was Valdez Scantling or Travis Kelsey who had a catch on the opening drive, the kid Justin Ross who people are expecting big things from, uh, Ross was um, uh, is in his second year out of Clemson. Uh, they this is a team that you know treats the preseason 
as a way to get the preseason games as a way to get in rhythm for the regular season. They're the Super Bowl champions. Uh, all right, back to the list uh, that I'd like to see. So, again, smooth offensive operation from a communi- communication standpoint. Eric Bienemy to Hal, Hal to the huddle, plenty of time on the play clock when they get to the line of scrimmage. Better protection from the offensive line. We'll see that in, in pure drop-back situations. I want to see Sam decisive. I want to see him quick getting it out. I'd love to see a successful offensive drive, 75 yards, eight plays, putting the ball up in the air primarily. Um, that leads me to, you know, sort of dovetailing off the Kansas City thing. I'd like to see 15-plus throws tonight from Sam Howell, no less than 10 completions. Get me into that 66 to 67% you know, range with no sacks. Um, I don't really need to see much of Jacoby Brissett. I don't. By the way, that reminds me. I got a tweet. I'd have to go find it now. Um, somebody tweeted me something uh, about how I'm like in the tank for Jacoby Brissett. Um, I'm actually looking for it here. I can't find it. Uh, anyway, it's 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 not important. Yeah, I like Jacoby Brissett. Um, I'm not in the tank for Jacoby Brissett. And I'm paraphrasing what the actual uh, tweet was. Uh, I, I like Jacoby Brissett. I've always liked Jacoby Brissett, but I don't like him as like the long-term answer. I'm much more interested in watching Sam Howe take the reins and hopefully develop into a franchise quarterback. We know, for the most part, that Jacoby Brissett isn't that answer. So that leaves only one other quarterback on the roster that might be. So let's see him. And they seem to feel comfortable putting him out there, and he certainly hasn't done anything in practice, in two joint practices, or in the one preseason game to cause any real alarm. But to be honest with you, why do we need to see Jacoby Brissett? He's a veteran in his eighth year. I just don't want to see him play as much as he did last week. I don't think it's necessary. Maybe they played him more last week than in, than I anticipated because perhaps Jake Fromm isn't ready to you know, operate uh, the offense as smoothly as Brissett, and they want to be able to evaluate everybody else. Who knows? To me, after Sam Howell tonight for a quarter or a half uh, and Brissett for a drive or two, the rest of the preseason is Jake Fromm, although I would play guys on Saturday night against Cincinnati. Uh, but with the time, actually, with the turnaround time, maybe not because tonight's game is Monday night. Um, I'd like to see tonight that same level of hustle uh, on defense that I think has become a little bit of a hallmark of Jack Del Rio's defenses here. You know, whether it's the – I don't need to see a lot of defensive starters. I don't need to see John Allen. We probably won't. He's got uh, some plantar fasciitis. Apparently it's not too serious. Uh, I don't need to see Deron Payne. I don't need to see Montez. To be honest with you, unless they feel it's really necessary, I don't want Chase Young to get you know be put at risk. Plus, he'll benefit uh, from everybody else being out there, as they will hopefully benefit from him being out there. Uh, we didn't see Kendall Fuller last week. Defen- defensively, you had a lot of experience 
Um, sure, Cody Barton hasn't played. Emmanuel Forbes hasn't played in this defense. Quan Martin hasn't. Um, but I think defensively, it's less about getting into rhythm and into sync and more about, you know, g- figuring out the depth behind your frontline starters. But uh, regardless of who's in on defense, would would love to see that hustle that we've seen from the defense. Um, I'd like to see Kaz Allen get more opportunities to return kicks and punts tonight uh, to see if he really is the guy. This team needs more turnovers and more special teams field-flipping plays in 2023. We don't know enough about what the offense will be. Some of you seem to be really, really optimistic. Um, Great. Uh, I have no idea what the offense is going to be. I don't know that it's going to be improved over last year's offense uh, with Sam Howell. I think it would be with Jacoby Brissett. But again, don't take that the wrong way. I'm fine with Sam Howell. Let's see if Sam Howell's got massive, you know, long-term potential. Um, but you need more takeaways and you need the special teams to help the offense score. That's what was missing last year. You know, well, what was missing last year was better offensive play um, and better quarterback play and better offensive line play. But uh, what could have gotten another win out of the season was more takeaways and a couple of big, you know, scoring potential or actual scoring plays uh, by your special teams units. I want to see Kaz Allen. And then Andre Jones Jr., Doc and I talked about him last week. This guy's got a chance to make the team. Apparently he's been running a, a little bit here and there with the ones and even the twos, worst case. Um, Andre Jones Jr., their seventh-round pick from Louisiana. Looking forward to watching number 48 uh, tonight. If you want to bet the game tonight, go to my bookie, Baltimore, right now, a one-point favorite at my bookie. The total, 37 and a half. Uh, my bookie's got a real good opportunity for you right now in advance of football season. College football, real games. Uh, this upcoming weekend, and then you get the first full slate of college games over Labor Day weekend. But football is back, and so is winning season at MyBookie. NFL, college football, and a brand-new cash-out system give you options to bet and win all season long. First two legs of your parlay hit, cash out early, and use the funds on another bet or let it ride for the chance at a bigger payday. Use early cash-outs as a tool to stay in control of the action at MyBookie. To get started, go to MyBookie.ag. That's MyBookie.ag. Registering to open up an account is free. When you're ready to make your first deposit, use my promo code KevinDC and you'll grab a welcome bonus on the house. KevinDC is the promo code to claim your deposit bonus. And for a limited time, you'll get a free chip to use in the MyBookie online casino. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere, only with my bookie. All right, up next, Jason Lockenfora. We haven't had Jason on the show in a long time, radio or podcast. He's been up in Baltimore for a long time now on radio uh, up there doing sports talk radio. And of course, he's an NFL league insider. We'll get to Jason right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate 
isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This segment of the show brought to you by the Circa Million and the Circa Survivor Contests out in Vegas. The biggest and the best available pools in Las Vegas presented by the Circa Sportsbook and Casino uh, downtown Vegas. And it is quite the spectacle when you show up at the Circa. Uh, it is the biggest sportsbook out there. And the Circa Million offers up $6 million in guaranteed prizes. The Circa Survivor offers up $8 million in guaranteed uh, prizes. The Survivor Pool, you pick a winner each week. If it wins, you're alive. If it loses or ties, you're out. You can't pick the same team twice during the season. No points spread. $8 million guaranteed guaranteed to the winner or winners. Uh, the Circa Million is five games each week against the spread at the end of the year. It'll pay out the top 100 and a million dollars to the winner. $14 million in guaranteed prizes, no rake. So if entries go above the guarantee, all the extra money will go into the pool. Entries close September 9th at 2 p.m. That's the Saturday before the first full Sunday of the NFL season. Now you must register in person at a circus sportsbook in Nevada. Weekly picks can be made through a proxy from anywhere. Jumping on with me right now is Jason Lockenfora. Jason, of course, covered the team here for nearly a decade for the Washington Post, has worked uh, for so many uh, different outlets covering the league for years. He is a league NFL insider, and he's been hosting radio in Baltimore for now several years, 105.7 The Fan uh, in Baltimore. He's on in the afternoons with Ken Weinman. You can follow Jason on Twitter, at Jason Lockin Forest. So I, I have been thinking about you because I've talked to a lot of the different beat reporters since Dan sold the team officially, whether it was Mike or Liz or, or any of them. And I had not talked to you and it's been a while, so it's great to have you on the show. But so what was your reaction, you know, a, a month ago or so when it actually had happened, Dan had sold the team? Well, it, it did seem unfathomable. Um, that it finally happened, just knowing how much of his identity um, and his personal sort of, I think, image, whatever self, self-value self he had, which I'm sure to him there was plenty. To most people who knew him, there was you know, virtually none. But I, I really felt like his brand, his personality, um, 
you know, the whole Dan Snyder model only really exists if you have, if you're in charge of something that other people care so much about that you then can, you know, um, have your power plays and make their lives miserable and you can make people squirm and you can make them uncomfortable and, and you can basically get your jollies off, um, being a horrible person because you are in charge of this thing that, you know, despite the work environment and, and how terrible, um, a human being you are and, and how terrible of a manager you are, you know, people still want to work there and they want to be a part of it. And it's one of 32 and they grew up with it and they think they can change it back. Right. Or they think they can change you. And, so when you strip that away, I mean, he's just a miserable, insufferable, um, borderline criminal, maybe full-blown criminal, probably full-blown criminal, um, scumbag, you know? So, like, I, I don't, I, I just, I didn't think he would ever get rid of it unless someone took it from him, like the league or, you know, some government entity or what have you. So it was kind of... um one of those ones where you don't, even though at a certain point in time it became clear he was going to sell it and he was going to get a figure that was going to appease him enough to sell it, it was still one of those ones where I don't think you quite believe it until it's totally real, you know, and they're putting out their little BS statement and they're they're going off into um, obscurity or, or whatever. I mean, I didn't actually intend on spending much time on this at all. Uh, it just occurred to me as I was saying that you, you know, covered the team for the post so long just to ask you for a quick reaction. But, you know, because you were there during a time in which, you know, I've described, Jason, the erosion of the fan base is a slow trickle really for the first 15 years. And then over the last five to, to eight, it was – exponential loss, you know, yeah. year in and year out. And, you know, um, it was, you know, the the end of Shanahan. It was the end of RG3. It was the, you know, moving on from Kirk after they lowballed him and and tried to publicly embarrass him before, before he left. Not that Kirk was not a polarizing figure here among sure. the fans because he was. Um, and then, obviously, the post story started to come out. But you were there as it was primarily kind of this slow trickle. I mean, the stadium was still packing eighty-five to 90,000 yeah. in. When did you, was there ever a moment when you were covering the team that you knew this is never going to work with him? Oh. Like, it, was there any kind of moment that you remember or moments? Well, I don't, I mean, I, I remember being, quite skeptical all the way through that this um, leadership paradigm and this, you know, he just would waffle from one arrangement to the next, one where he totally meddled and, you know, had unfettered sort of access to the roster at all times to this other model where he put somebody else in charge, but the person he always put in charge was ill-equipped to do it as well. Whether it's a coach who didn't really have a personnel background or a coach who was spread too thin or a coach who, you know, just was hard enough coming back out of the abyss and figuring out what it meant to be a coach again. 
let alone what it means to run an entire modern football organization after so long away. You know, like, so I don't ever, like, even a lot of people would talk to me when Rivera started, and I'm like, well, do you think it's different now? And I'm like, no, because Ron Rivera has no business running a personal department, has no business putting a personal department together, has no business being the head of, you know, the guy who the football buck stopped with in the building every single day. And the reality is it was more than just the football buck. It was kind of sort of everything, right, until the whole Jason Wright thing happened. So I, I've never looked at it and said that thing is built to win, that thing is built to last. Like, I'm I'm buying that this is finally going to be different. Um, I, you just looked at the people he surrounded himself with. You looked at who he put in charge. You You looked at their you know, acumen, you looked at how they comported themselves. You looked at how people thought of them in the building. And you, you generally said, this is, you know, they might mess around and get on a hot streak here. They might mess around, you know, and, and make the playoffs there because this whole thing is, is corporate socialism for billionaires. So everybody's going to, you know, every dog's going to have their day or at least half a day. But, like, is this team ever going to truly contend for a Super Bowl and do it, you know, with any sort of regularity or, or on more than a singular level? If if it ever, even in any given season, is a singular level? No. I, I, I never, ever, ever thought that was possible under his guidance. Yeah, I, I think a lot of us agreed with you. So... Um, whether it's your opinion or the opinion of people that you talk to around the league, what what what's the what's the take on Josh Harris and his group sure. his new ownership here? Well, look, it's it's the ultimate addition by subtraction. Um, he is a fully functioning human being who understands <laughs> um, interpersonal relationships. He understands the importance of perception. He understands how to delegate authority. He, he understands, you know, has some working cognitive relationship with reality and, and what will be required to at least get to some of those levels that we just talked about that they were never going to flirt with, with Dan Snyder. Now, that doesn't mean there won't be a learning curve. That doesn't mean he won't make mistakes. But I, I, he just, he, 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 uh, I think he has an intimate knowledge of sort of what the covenant is between fan base and franchise. And, like, I think he has some semblance and awareness of what fans want, what fans desire, um, what fans need. And I, I think because his mere presence, the mere fact that it's anybody other than Dan Snyder, engenders such goodwill and engenders this whole mentality of ding-dong, the witch is dead, and maybe the sleeping giant is awakened, I think he will find a lot of doors open to him that Dan Snyder had closed in his face for, you know, for good reason. So I don't know how you wouldn't be bullish on them becoming something they haven't been in a generation. Um, I... Uh, it is a different league than these other leagues, and the way it's set up is a whole hell of a lot different than these other leagues. Although, obviously, with the cap and stuff, there's some, um, you know, the NBA model isn't isn't completely, uh, you know, the antithesis of the NFL model by any stretch of the imagination. Um, 
but there's also a lot of work to do, you know? I mean, the facilities are run down. Everything's dilapidated. Morale, yes, it, there's an immediate boost when you come in, but I think people know how far there is to go. Um, he's got to solve micro-level issues. He's got to solve macro-level issues. Um, there's a coach who's, you know, kind of hanging in the balance, and, you know, he's going to have to probably make decisions on stuff like that sooner rather than later. You know, certainly we're talking a matter of weeks and months, not years. Um, so it'll be somewhat fascinating to see how much he picks it up and how quickly he acts and, and how much he does change and how much he is involved and um, how much he reaches for, to outside of his professional sports sort of cocoon, right? How much he reaches out to people who don't have ties to him or hadn't worked for him before or, you know, or, or aren't friends of people who work for him in, in Philly or with the Devils or whatever. Um, but, man, oh, man. Yeah. There's, it's, he's gonna, it would take... He'd, he'd have to have a lobotomy. Yeah, you right. know, like, someone would have to inhabit his soul. And... <laughs> yeah, no, no, know, no. I mean, I, I think... Be I, taken over yeah. by some sort of yeah. nefarious being, Right. For it not to be better, for it not to be more fun, for it not to feel more real, for there not to be more hope than there's been in forever. Do Baltimore people feel the same way about Angelos that we felt about Dan? Um, well, I... I are we talking Judd? Are we talking Peter? Well, whatever. The, 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 Angelos, the Angelos ownership of the Orioles. And obviously they're having a hell of a year and they're a legitimate threat to, to do damage in, in October. But, you know, over the years, I mean, just the, the ownership of the Orioles, do did people have the same opinion in Baltimore of that as we did? I don't yeah. – I mean, I, I don't think that's a remotely fair comparison. You know what I mean? Like – John Angelos got a hold of the team, and the first thing he did is go find this guy, Michael Elias, and give him full authority. Like, not fake full authority of the organization. You know what I mean? Not like, not like, oh, yeah, you're going to be in charge, but here's 9 million checks and balances, and, you know, here's going to micromanage you, and you got to keep this person, you got to keep that person. You know, Brady Anderson, you better keep him around. You know, we love him. Like, it was, it was none of that. It was unencumbered. It was like, I'm going to try to find the best guy who can help me steer this franchise through something my dad would have never, ever, ever signed off on. Um, you know, the, 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 the culture working there is nothing like Washington. You know what I mean? There, there's, 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 I mean, <laughs> Dan Snyder, well, certainly while I was there, it appeared to be, again, a criminal or borderline criminal enterprise. Right. You know what I mean? With people preying on other people sometimes fairly openly, on an everyday basis. And just, you'd, you'd, you'd be in the parking lot, you'd overhear something, someone would whisper something to you. You know what I mean? Somebody would send you a text. Some documents would show up at the office, you know, one day when you're going in to, cha- to check your expenses. And it's like, oh my God, like, am I, what am I, am I covering a mob boss here? Or am I covering an NFL owner? I, I don't think anybody... Even the staunchest Angelos critic would, you know what I mean, would say that there anything like that is is going on here. Um, now, 
Do they have? Do they make their share of PR missteps? Do do they um, turn molehills into mountains? Are are they still growing as an organization in a lot of ways? And is he still growing as an owner? Absolutely. And we're going to find out more about him with this team now legitimate. You know, what does the payroll look like, and how do they spend? But I think a lot of people also forget that once they got good in 2012, you know, they kept Adam Jones, they kept Chris Davis, they were 12th, 14th, you know what I mean, stuff like that, in annual spending at various times. So I I don't think they have the idea that we're just going to, we're going to spend like the Rays, you know, or we're going to spend less than the Rays, or we're going to spend like the A's. I don't think that's what this will be, but I also understand why people won't believe it until they see it with their own eyes. Um, and they haven't extended anybody yet, and so that's a box they haven't checked, and they haven't signed a free agent to a significant multi-year contract yet, and that's a box they have to check. But I, I fully believe they're going to. I, I don't think Mike Elias, you know what I mean, comes here and stays here and, unless he's given that authority. Um, so, no, I, I don't, I mean, I, I think, yeah, people right. who are painting with a really <laughs> wide brush are people who don't really understand the depths to which, you know, the Washington Arskins or WTFs or Commanders or whatever um, was a, like... <clears throat> yeah, train wreck. A soul-sucking, you know what I mean? Like, human, grind them up spit them out enterprise. I, I just don't think that's the Baltimore Orioles. All right, let's talk some NFL. Um do you have an opinion one way or the other about Sam Howell? Well, I, I think he can. Um, I think he can win games in this league, and I think he can be a functional NFL quarterback with the upside to grow. I don't think it's fair to put much more than that on him now, but there's enough people who've been around him through the draft process and have seen him in that building now for a while who I think are pretty smart who believe that. So I'm inclined to believe that. Um, if if that's true and you believe he can win games, it's a pretty good roster around him. I don't know how much you've paid attention. I mean, you no, cover the I, league. I don't think they're look. I, I think they are a solid football team. Um, I think they've upgraded exponentially at um, the offensive coordinator spot. I think they. Obviously, just the whole ownership thing changes everything, and it makes coming into the building a different vibe. You know, it makes game day a different vibe. Like, I've been telling people all week on my radio show, you know, it's somewhat in jest, but, like, be prepared to, you know, say goodbye to John Harbaugh's epic, monumental pregame winning streak because it's probably going to die Monday night. Um, The drive for 25 will no longer be alive. I I think that this is going to be, you know, a bit of a coming-out party for – Washington fans and the Washington team without this scumbag hanging over them. So um, I, I think there is a breath of fresh air in that regard. I think whatever Sam Howell is, there's less sort of confusion, right? They, they've managed the message a little better. Now, that doesn't mean that Ron Rivera won't put his foot in his mouth eight times between now and the end of the season. Yeah. But Or maybe eight's a bit much, but four's probably not. Uh, so we got to see that, you know, and, and how that plays out. But, yeah, I think there's decent talent there. I mean, I've gotten in debates with people at Sportsline who talk about them like they're the Cardinals, you know, or like they're a three-win team, and I'm just like, I'm not looking at that. I guess we're not seeing the same roster. We're not seeing the same schedule. Like, they did win eight games last year despite all of that. You know what I mean? And they've 
they put some of that to bed, and it's a similar schedule. And I like the way it sets up early. And, like, I don't think they're scared to death of the Dallas Cowboys by any stretch of the imagination. I don't think they're scared to death of the New York Giants or the Eagles on a different plane than everybody else in that conference. Sure. Um, they still managed, right, to, to, to hold serve with them last year. Maybe they don't this year. But, like, the six-and-a-half win total and some of the narratives that are out there, like, this team's picking in the top five of the draft. I, I don't see it that way, you know? I think they could win more games than they lose. And with how wide open and wild and wooly I think that conference will be, you know, 10 wins I think absolutely get you in. Um, and nine might. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it just comes down to the quarterback. It's such a mystery. <clears throat> and... You know, a lot of people from afar are saying, well, they're going with a guy who was a fifth-round pick despite his college pedigree and despite where, you know, some people thought he, he would have been picked the year before. I just think it's the most important position on the field. That is a complete and utter question mark. And I'd throw in the offensive line as well, Jason, yeah. is a bit of a question mark. But the rest of the roster does not look like a six-and-a-half win roster if the quarterbacking is just a slight upgrade. Like you said, they were dismal offensively last year with Heineke and Wentz, and they won eight games. Um, right. So right. I, I kind of feel the same way. I think it's an overplay, although it worries me when everybody kind of thinks it's an overplay. Um, in the NFC, if Philadelphia and let's put the 49ers at the top of the heap. Okay. Um, I, it, it sounded to me like maybe you don't believe Dallas is third, but give me an idea in your mind who comes next after those two. I, I mean, I, I think I'm just throwing darts like, yeah. like anybody else. Um, does anybody – does anybody I think Seattle, yeah. you know, they've re-sort of connected with that fan base. That could be a legitimate home field advantage. There's obviously – travel issues for any team that goes out there except for maybe San Francisco, right, just in terms of logistics and and all of that and, you know, length of flight and what it does to your work week. Um, you know, I think after some real down years in, in, in player procurement, they've done a much better job the last couple drafts and some of their free agent moves. Um, you know, so, like, I think they're a, a solid operation, Um I don't know what to make of Minnesota and Green Bay, you know? I, I, I mean, I think the Lions are fairly legitimate. I'm not buying this Bears hype whatsoever. Um, somebody's got to win the South. I think it could be the Panthers. Um, but I'm not willing to crown wh- whoever does. Uh, As a January you know, threat. Look, will, yeah. will Dallas beat up on bad teams in a regular season? Well, they beat up on teams with less talent than them in the regular season. Yes, it's what they do. Can they punch up in weight class? I, I will believe it when I say it. I, I like. I need to. That's got to happen a few times before I bake it into my projections for them. So, I don't have like team three. You know what I mean? Like, I don't even put San Francisco in the same tier as Philadelphia because I'm not sold on the quarterback. Um, I think it's Philadelphia and everybody else. And, and that second tier for me is probably a couple teams from out west. Um, no, I mean, I, look, it's so it, in between. It, it's, you know? it's hard. Like, it still yeah. might be Minnesota, even despite you know some of the bloodletting that they've had from a roster standpoint 
and knowing this is kind of Cousins' last stand, that doesn't mean he won't go out and be a top 10 quarterback this year, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, somewhere in that range, which in that conference is probably enough for at least a wild card. Um, They're just so bad defensively. Um, yeah, I don't but, know. But no, I'm I, with, again, yeah, it's wide everybody's open. Everybody's got warts. Yeah, the, the NFC is wide open. Let's finish up talking about uh, the conference that you talk probably more about, which is the AFC. Are you a believer in the Jets? No, not at all. Not even a little bit. Why? No. Um, no. Why? I don't think. Well, I just think when you have a marriage of convenience that's set up between um, a quarterback who's uh, a megalomaniac um, who's over-empowered, who there are no checks and balances, there are no guardrails, um, and you put him with an owner who everything he touches is a, is a disaster. I, I just don't believe this works in the NFL. Um, it'll never be his fault. It, it'll always be some other problem. Um, I didn't like the way he played football last year. I didn't like he, the way he conducted himself, especially under duress and adversity. And look at their schedule and look at their offensive line. There's going to be duress and adversity. There was duress and adversity the first time they put on pads and got around another NFL team. An NFL team who most people argue me is pretty, even though I'm kind of bullish on them to take a win the division, a lot of people think Carolina's garbage. And, and Carolina wrecked their day and had Aaron Rodgers crying in his Wheaties and bitching and moaning about his offensive line. And you know what I mean? Had everybody there running like their panties were on fire to scream at offensive linemen for Aaron Rodgers. I just, like, and he's not an MVP. He wasn't an MVP last year. He threw more balls at or behind the line of scrimmage than anybody in the NFL. In terms of percentage-wise, he doesn't want to push the ball downfield. He's so happy about Dalvin Cook because that's one more guy he can hand off to or throw, you know, throw a, a check down to or a little flare. Like I, I just, I'm not, I'm not buying it. Yeah, it's a good defense, but uh, and this, they're, they're, somehow the New York Jets are in Super Bowl or bus mode. Somehow the New York Jets, you get plus money on them to miss the playoffs. Like I, I know I don't think this is bringing out the best in anybody. I'm not sold on that head coach. The owner isn't sold on that head coach. The owner was telling people around Thanksgiving last year, I don't think this is the guy. Um, Nathaniel Hackett, stop it, please. Come on, stop. He's there so that, so that the, the, the quarterback gets whatever he wants. And the quarterback can call every play he wants and audible to anything he wants. And Nathaniel Hackett will take all the bullets. Like, it's a joke. So, no, I, 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 don't, I think they're a, a seven, eight, nine win operation. I don't think they're going anywhere. I don't think they're threatening anybody. Um, no, I don't buy it. Do you think there's pressure building on Buffalo? Sure. Yeah. Um, there is. I also don't buy the narrative, though, that they've like fallen off a cliff or that, you know, that the roster is, you know, in more disrepair than before. Can they go out and can they make another, like, do they have the wherewithal from ownership to go and make another Von Miller-type swing? Probably not, but that Von Miller swing still might pay more dividends this year than last year. Like, I, I do think they're sort of up against it a little bit more than they've been this time of year in some other seasons. And they're a little bit, bit more they are what they are. You know, they're not going to be able to pick up, you know, one or two big contracts along the way, I don't think. Uh but I also think people are over their skis about the Jets. I think people are a little over their skis about Miami. Um, New England's roster is god-awful. Um, 
And if they win that division, and if they win that division relatively comfortably, which I think they will, then if nothing else, they probably settle into a seed, even if it's not the top seed, right? And maybe you can take the foot off the gas and rest people a little bit in 17 and 18. And then, you know, it's, it's Josh Allen, and it's a really good football operation with a really good coach in a do-or-die situation. So, you know, I think they'll take their chances. But, um, yes, I, I think that there's a little bit of frustration there and, you know, a little bit like we haven't even made it to a Super Bowl yet kind of thing. I don't know that that's the noise in their building, but right around it. Um, but, I mean, I personally wouldn't be shocked if they did it this year. I, I still think that they're one of the three, four, five best teams in the league. How close is Baltimore with a healthy Lamar Jackson for 17 games to Cincinnati? Well, certainly under their new coordinator, Mike McDonald, who's the opposite of Wink Martindale in every way, shape, or form, um, they went from a team that was maybe least equipped to, to battle the Bengals because this guy was just going to blitz all day, even if he didn't have any pass rushers. Like, that was just it. And Burrow would just pick them apart. Now they zone it up. It's all about the scheme. Um, it's all about, you know, zone responsibility. It's about taking away throwing windows. It's about forcing them to dink and dunk. And it worked pretty damn good three times last year. Um, so, you know, the gap between them and the Bengals, um, you know, I don't know that it's major. I still think I still lean to the Bengals. I have questions about the Ravens' pass rush. I have questions about... The Ravens' secondary, the scheme can't hide them all. And they were a bad fourth-quarter defense last year. And I just don't know. You know, unless somebody like David Ajabo or Owe really take a step forward, I don't know who the closers are on that defense. So that gives me some pause in an AFC where you face a lot of good quarterbacks. Um, But I I think they're a much better matchup for Cincinnati. Do I see them beating Cincinnati, Buffalo, and Kansas City three straight weeks in January into February? I think that's a that's a big ask right now, as presently constituted. But uh, I think three teams from their division probably go to the playoffs, and I think they're one of them. Um, I don't love their schedule, so I I think well, if you just told me the teams they were facing in a vacuum, you know, I felt more I felt much better about them as an eleven or twelve win team until you saw how those games were actually laid out, and then I was like, damn, they're going out west again. Damn, they're playing them on a short week there. You know, damn, they're playing all three division teams on the road within the first five weeks of the season. And then going to London and then coming back and playing a pretty good team and not taking the bye there. And they they, they do a lot of travel, London and the West Coast, before they finally get to that bye. And then there's still another West Coast trip after that bye. Um, so we'll see. Uh, but, um, you know, people are more excited about Ravens' offensive football, the Ravens' passing game here, than they've been. And forever, and and it's going to have to be pretty good from the start, because again, the the roster on defense gives you some pause. Who's the third team out of the AFC North? If it's Cincinnati, I think it's, Baltimore. I think it's Cincinnati, Baltimore, and Pittsburgh. Really? What if Deshaun? Yeah, what if Deshaun Watson is Deshaun Watson again? What if he's not? I mean, I don't. You know, I don't. I mean, and it's still Jimmy Haslam, and it's still a coach who's already looking over his shoulder, and um. You know, it's it's still the Browns. So I just think the Browns in that division, in that conference, are going to have to shed their skin in a lot of different ways, and I'm just not, 
you know, I'm just I'm not inclined to give them the benefit of the doubt in August. All right, last one. Give me a team that you've been talking about that you really like that you think um, a lot of people are, you know, not necessarily thinking about as a team that will end up in the postseason, either conference. Well, well, I think Pittsburgh can win this division, and I think Pittsburgh could be a tough out in the playoffs. Um, I, I like Pittsburgh's roster. I like their depth. I like how they rebuilt their offensive line. I like their ability to get multiple in offense now, personnel-wise. And they can go. They can run a two-back system. They can run a two-tight end, you know, twelve personnel system. And they've got a whole bunch of wide receivers um, with some different body types, so they can spread you out and try to beat you with them as well. You know, if Watts relatively healthy, we we know that that's an elite defense. Um, and I think they're kind of like sneaking up on some people. No one's really talking about them. People kind of think they're still a year or two away, or this or that, or. You know, they, there's a you can slander the quarterback pretty easily based on some of the box scores, but I don't know, man. He's pretty good in the second half of games. Uh, he made some pretty big big boy throws against some pretty good teams on the road, and uh, I I think they're you know I I just think Mike Tomlin knows how to win football games at this level. So I I like the Steelers um, in the AFC as a as a much more viable team and they're probably given credit for in a lot of other areas or markets. And I think, again, I know it hasn't been a great preseason. Um, if you've watched the Carolina Panthers and some of their pass protection issues and this or that, but it's, there's also a lot of moving parts there and a lot of newness. And that division is not great. Um, I, I like Carolina. I think Carolina can win that division. Always good to catch up. It's been too long. Uh, Jason does two to, two to six on 105.7 The Fan in Baltimore with Ken Weinman. Um, that's the show uh, for all of you uh, who remember one Vinny Serrato. Vinny does the show before yes. uh, their show. Um, good to catch up. Really appreciate it. Likewise, man. No, thanks for having me, and uh, enjoy the game. Jason Lockenfora, everybody. Uh, up next, I'm going to finish up the show by looking at a story that ESPN.com wrote uh, earlier this morning, ranking the division's best to worst heading into the 2023 season. We'll get to that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Last year, the NFC East's four teams, Philly, Dallas, New York, and Washington, that's a better way of saying, by the way, now the NFC East, because if I did it by team names, I would have had to say the Eagles, Cowboys, Giants, and Commanders. 
That doesn't really sound like the NFC East to me anyway. So I'll say Philly, Dallas, New York, and Washington. The four teams in the NFC East in 2022 had an aggregate record of 43-23-2. and Three of the four teams made the postseason. Not one losing record among the four teams. Washington finished 8-8-1 and finished in last place and nearly made the postseason if they had beaten Cleveland in the penultimate week of the 2022 season. They would have uh, been the first division the NFC East would have been to send all four of its teams to the postseason. Now, that could only happen once they added the seventh conference playoff uh, team, the third wild card team, which happened in 2021 with the introduction of the 17 game schedule uh, when they expanded the postseason. But still, almost all four teams went to the postseason last year. And the division at 43, 23, and 2 with a 651 winning percentage, it made it the third best winning percentage for a division in NFL history. The 2007 AFC South had a 656 win percentage, um, and the 2013 NFC West also had a 656 win percentage. So last year's NFC East at 651 um, at 43-23-2, third best aggregate division record in NFL history. So today, uh, and I saw this um, early this morning, ESPN projected the strength of divisions and ranked them from best to worst projected for the 2023 season using ESPN's Football Power Index rankings, uh, which are a projection of what the teams will be. Now, I was thinking before I opened this up, I just thought, it's got to be the NFC East at one, right? I mean, after the record last year. Um, but then I thought about it a little bit more, and there are some really good divisions. The AFC North in particular is excellent, right? I mean, last year you had Cincinnati and Baltimore both in the postseason. Pittsburgh had a winning record, and now Cleveland's got Deshaun Watson. And so that division certainly looks super strong heading into the year. I also thought of the AFC East uh, with the Jets uh, getting Aaron Rodgers, um, Jason Lockham for not nearly as impressed as I am, uh, with the Dolphins, Bills, and Patriots. But I still thought the NFC East had a chance at finishing as the projected best top-to-bottom uh, division in the NFL. Well, let me give you... The rankings, all right? The projected best to worst 2023 NFL divisions per ESPN.com. The AFC East, uh, number one, top to bottom. And what's written here by Dan Graziano, this feels like a slam dunk. It's the only division in which every team has a positive football power index rating. Um, Okay. I mean, I can buy that the AFC East and the AFC North projected for 2023 are better uh, than the NFC East. I'm not buying that it's a slam dunk, though. Number two is the AFC North. Uh, And then number three is the AFC West. 
The AFC West last year was thought to be heading into the year, especially with Russell Wilson in Denver, Justin Herbert uh, in L.A. with the Chargers, and of course the Chiefs, and then Derek Carr and the Raiders. That was thought to be going into the season one of the strongest-looking divisions on paper in NFL history. Uh, Their third and then fourth was the NFC East. And really... It's Washington that brings the NFC East down uh, because the Eagles and Cowboys ranked third and eighth, uh, respectively, in the football power index. Um, And then uh, the Giants ranked 14th. Washington's all the way down at 21st in the FPI. Um, So that makes the NFC East fourth. I don't have a problem with them not being first or second, although I thought there was a chance they could be. Um, but I think the AFC West has Casey and the Chargers. Denver's a major question mark, and the Raiders shouldn't be that good, should they? Uh, by the way, fifth was the NFC West with San Francisco and Seattle. Sixth was the NFC North. Seventh was the AFC South. And yeah, uh, the NFC South, certainly on paper heading into the year, looks like the worst top-to-bottom division. But as we have talked about for many years. The NFL tends to trick you a little bit, and things that look weak today look end up being strong, and things that look strong today sometimes end up being uh, weak. By the way, I was looking through um, a list that was put together uh, with the best divisions in NFL history. There was a, a Bleacher Report Top 25 best divisions in NFL history. And this isn't necessarily by record. This, there's a subjective element in here as well. And the NFC East is listed in here several times. The 2016 NFC East um, was 21st in terms of the best division, top 25 all time. That was the year, by the way, that Washington blew the postseason. There should have been three teams in the postseason from the NFC East, but there were only two. It was the year, by the way, most recently uh, between the Cowboys and the Redskins where they had both um, very good records entering uh, that very intense um, and at the time, the most watched uh, NFL game on Fox of all time, the Thanksgiving Day game shootout between Washington and Dallas. The Giants made the postseason that year. Uh, by the way, the 1981 NFC East finished 20th. Um, I didn't add this up, but it, it would certainly appear as if the NFC East got ranked in the top 25 more than any other division. The 81 season, Washington finished 8-8. Eight and eight. Um, and the Cardinals went 7-9, and nine, but the Cowboys and Eagles both made the postseason. The 76 NFC East, Washington, uh, Dallas, um, and the Cardinals um, all made the postseason uh, in the 76 playoffs. Uh, and then the next time you see the NFC East is at 13 in the top 25, the 1992 NFC East. Washington was the defending champs. Cowboys were good. Eagles were good. All three teams ended up in the postseason that year. Um, And then the next time you see the NFC East is at number six, and that would be the 1991 
NFC East. Wow, was that a division. Washington, you know, obviously being the best team in football. Uh, you had the Eagles, who were a postseason team at 10-6. and six. The Cowboys won 11-5. That was Jimmy's first playoff team. And the Giants were still 8-8 eight and eight in that division. Remember, back then they were, they were five-team divisions. The Cardinals were also in the division. The 1990 NFC East finished fourth. Um, and they write, to earn the NFC's number two seed, the eventual Super Bowl champion Giants had to navigate a formidable division. Randall Cunningham nearly amassed a 1,000 yards rushing, and the Eagles stopped the Giants from improving to 10-0. and Both the Eagles and Redskins, who dominated the NFL in 1991, went 10-6 and and ranked top five in the 1990 DVOA. All right, that's the football outsiders metric. The Cowboys, the rising Cowboys, went 7-9. and nine. That was Jimmy's first competitive team, even though it didn't go to the postseason. Uh, and that was the year, by the way, of the body bag game in Philadelphia on Monday Night Football. But Washington getting revenge in the wild card round at the Vet in Philadelphia. Beating the Eagles. Um, and the Giants ultimately beat the 49ers, who beat the Redskins in the divisional round in one of the great NFC championship games of all time. That stopped the 49ers three-peat, the 15-13 game uh, out at Candlestick. But, man, that Washington win at Philadelphia that year in the postseason, that, to me, is the number one revenge game in franchise history. And I know some would say, well, what about the Cowboys' NFC title game? In, in 82, they had lost in the regular season. Remember, that was a strike-shortened season. They played once in the regular season, and the Cowboys did hang Washington's only loss in that nine-game regular season at RFK on Washington in, by the way, dominating fashion. And Washington got revenge in the championship game, but there was something about going into Philadelphia after they had crowed after the body bag, ga- body bag game, and Buddy Ryan and Eagles fans weren't giving Washington any chance of winning that game. And Washington dominated that game, and Buddy Ryan ran off the field with the clock still ticking down, didn't shake Joe Gibbs's hands, and was fired the next day. All right, that is it. Back tomorrow with a recap of the game tonight. Live from the national capital, Washington, D.C., a glorious nighttime view of Washington. At the top of your screen, the Washington Monument. Then the Capitol building. As we pan down to where we are all gathered, RFK Stadium, a jam-packed crowd. And not at home in the White House tonight, but rather here at RFK Stadium, the President of the United States, Jimmy Carter, together with his wife, Rosalind. Why is everybody here as the booing is for the Dallas Cowboys? Well, that's why. One of the richest, most traditional rivalries in the National Football League. The Super Bowl champion Dallas Cowboys against the surprisingly unbeaten Washington Redskins as we take a quick look at the standings in the NFC Eastern Division. There is Washington at 4-0. Dallas having lost to Los Angeles at 3-1. So, we've got a big event tonight. 
Washington against Dallas. Monday Night Football, the president in attendance. 20 seconds to air. Stand by, all cameras. Stand by in videotape. Stand by, slow-mo. Stand by to open your mics on the field. Stand by in graphics. Ready with your opening supers. Stand by the announcers in the booth, please. And roll tape. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.